Welcome, Bouncer Backers, to this week's episode of Bouncing Back Stronger, the podcast where we explore the incredible power of resilience, personal growth, and triumph over adversity. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Vasquez, and I'm thrilled to embark on this transformative journey with you. Whether you're seeking inspiration, guidance, or simply reminded that you're not alone on your journey, Bouncing Back Stronger is here to support and empower you. We believe that every setback is an opportunity for a comeback, and every challenge is a chance for growth. Let's go. Hello, Bouncer Backers. Today, we have Clint Callahan, all the way from Colorado, USA. Clint is a licensed therapist and a life coach. Today he's going to talk to us about how he became to be a therapist and life coach and his journey along the way. So, hi Clint, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so good to be here. I'm happy to see you. It's great I to have you on. talking with you. Yeah, you too. And thank you so much for being here today. And I, we've got a lot to go through, Clint. And it's so interesting, you know, so you can take it away. Because it's just my life. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So I guess I'll I'll start at the beginning, right? So when I was born, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces. This was 47 years ago. My lowest weight, I got down to like one pound, nine ounces. So that's technically considered what's called a micro preemie. So 47 years ago. We basically say that that weight as well as like a bag of sugar. Yeah, 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 yeah. That way, that weight is basically it's. I'm, I'm less than. I was less than two pounds. That was about a pound and a half. So wow. that's like I don't know how much that would be in metric. So sorry. And you want to see you now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, how many weeks forward were you, Clint? I was. Let's see. So forty weeks is the standard gestation. So I was born twenty nine weeks. Twenty nine weeks. Tiny. So tiny. Eleven by eleven, but almost uh, almost twelve months or almost three months early. Mm-hmm. So that was, that's a lot out of nine months. <laughs> that's a lot. So I guess, you know, the beginning of your life then, you were born, you know, in a fairly kind of, you know, traumatic way, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean, premature, perhaps a lot of anxiety from your parents around, you know, your mm-hmm. survival. And well, obviously you did survive. You're here to tell the I story. I did, obviously, because here I am. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting because yeah. my mom kept a journal there and she oh. talked a lot about how, which I recently only found, it was in the back of my baby book, in the back of the journal, it talked wow. about how one of the hard things for her was that I would flinch away from her when I was in the incubator. And I didn't really realize what that meant until I went through my own process of figuring out why I don't like to be, I did, I did not like to be touched by people unless I was the one initiating it. I never really understood what that was about. Okay. But what it was about when I come to realize during therapy and doing EMDR, which we'll talk about later, yeah. is that that came from that time in my life. Because the first four months of my life, when I was, because it was 47 years ago, they didn't know that you could still pick up a premature baby, hold a premature baby, cuddle them, love them, do all that stuff. It was like, no, hands off. They're too fragile. You, you can't do that. Yeah. So I spent the first about three months of my life, basically poke, prodded, surgery, basically clinically handled by doctors and nurses where it wasn't the gentle, loving care of a parent. So, so that, left a, that left a body trauma thing that I've had mm. for my entire life, which when I was 44, I did, and I learned how to do the MDR as a therapist. I volunteered to be a guinea pig mm-hmm. and to be the person in class to sit up there and to do the process with them. And 
I went through that. And what, so what EMDR is, to, for people that don't know, is yeah. it's called eye movement desensitization and processing. It's a therapeutic process to help people that are going through trauma or have really heightened emotional experiences to reprocess the emotion. Because what happens in the brain is the, the right side of your brain is where your emotions live. And the left side of your brain is where your logic lives. And so, so when right we sleep, side when, is our right side is our emotion. Right side is feelings. Left side is logic. logic. These are thoughts. Okay. And so the way it works is in between the two hemispheres of your brain, you have these little connections that are like a super highway that let both sides talk to each other. But when we experience trauma, the the little connections in the between the brains shut down and say, no, you can't talk to each other right now. There's too much activity going on in the feeling part of the brain. We don't want to overwhelm the entire brain. Uh-huh. And so what happens during REM sleep, which is the deepest level of sleep when you're dreaming, if you've ever seen anyone doing REM sleep, their eyes are bouncing back and forth inside their skull like uh-huh. they're watching a ping pong game, uh-huh. like those kind of things. And what that does, it's pinging this part of your brain and this part of your brain, which then creates the connection to link together and make you let your whole brain sync together and start the process. But after trauma, usually you don't sleep well. Usually you're not sleeping well for several days. And so your brain, so it becomes embedded and literally burned into your brain because now what doctors are saying is that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is they're trying to get it renamed to PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury because they can take scans of your brain. And if they have you even briefly think about a traumatic event, that is like a car accident, assault, like these kind of things, yeah. they can physically see the place where that part of your brain literally got burned by the massive electrical discharge in your brain wow. and fused that little neural section. And so I'm not a neurobiologist, so no, don't take my no. words for it, but okay. this is what I've learned. And yeah. that's the thing is, so what, well, you see, the thing about the, the, the thing about the brain is that you know it's still I think regarded as still one of the most complex organs of our system. Oh, you know that is. they doctors will still say we still are working on the brain. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, and they don't you, know. And new they things still don't understand how memory gets formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just there's so much there, isn't that? And it is just. Yeah, a, and so and that's the thing, right? So feel. as a baby, when I was going through that, that's what was happening. That was getting. The trauma of being handled clinically wow. got burned into my brain and then was in my body. Because what we forget when it comes to, to physical trauma, to being a human being, is we all start out because there's two kinds of, like, as I'll start back. So there's two kinds of different ways that people experience fear. There's biological fear for human beings, which is mm-hmm. survival, which is mm-hmm. the thing that we are all born with. Uh-huh. And that is, Everything below your neck, that's the 80% from the neck down. That is what your body tells your brain is going on around you in the world. So if I saw a tiger, the, for example, you know, yes. I'm going to run or whatever, probably yes. freeze actually. Yeah, you're going to yeah. run or you're going to freeze yeah. and play and dead. That's, or you're gonna do yeah, whatever. that's the fight or flight. That's and, the yeah, fight or flight. Flight freeze. But the thing is, then there's the, then there's the psychological piece of fear. Uh-huh. And the problem is the psychological piece of fear can't distinguish from a tiger that's in reality or a tiger that's in your brain. So mm-hmm. if you're having a tiger in your brain, such as anxiety or depression mm-hmm. or trauma or a flashback, your brain is telling the rest of your body, there's a tiger right there. It's mm-hmm. trying to get you. Mm-hmm. And the fear protocol in our body is only the biological fear protocol. Mm-hmm. So it only dumps adrenaline, 
cortisol, neuroepinephrine, all these different cocktail mm-hmm. stuff into our body to get us ready to fight or flee. Yeah. And the problem is when you are sitting still, when you're in your when you're in your flat, when you're in your when you're walking down the street, when uh-huh. you're doing something where you're not doing something super active, like running for your life or fighting for your life, adrenaline has one purpose. These hormones have one purpose. Supercharge your body to save yourself, to mm-hmm. keep you alive. But when we are not running and fleeing and it doesn't have a place to go, it goes to four places in the body. It goes to your stomach, which is why you get really rolly acid gut when you're having trauma or anxiety or those kind of things. It makes your heart beat really fast. It makes your lungs breathe really shallow and it goes to your brain and it affects each one of these areas differently. And that's why they say, you know, listen to your body. It's your body and almost I've been in, I think, webinars, lectures, things like that, where we've talked about how your body will have the feeling before you have the thought. If you just, if you're aware of that. Now, I know if I get maybe, I don't know, a really bad piece of news or something, or I don't know, it's just, I, it's the, I get the neck, the neck like prickles, Mm -hmm. the chest Mm -hmm. tightens, the heart does Mm -hmm. get faster, very Mm -hmm. much in my body. And, that, and, and then every that time that brain. happens, yeah. your brain also then slows down time because adrenaline interacting with the brain, we think it's slowing down time, but what it's doing is it's speeding up our brain's ability to process information. Wow. So we experience the rest of the world is slower, but really it's our brain that has sped up because of the adrenaline dumping into the system because it's a survival mechanism of you want time to slow down. If a tiger is jumping out of nowhere at you, you want time to slow down enough that you can decide, am I going to jump back? So am I going to duck? Am I going to run? <laughs> yeah. what, how am I going to get out of the way, right? Yeah. But when we are in the middle of that response in our life, our brain is now telling us, this is your new emotional feeling forever, which is why when we are in a panic attack, when we're in fight or flight, when mm. we're in deep anxiety, deep depression, when we're in these states, our brain is telling us, this is your new forever. And that's why we feel like these things are going to be forever. And that's why I always tell my clients, just wait five minutes, do this thing and wait five minutes and you will be better. And I think that's a, a great, a great point there. But I think that's why those feelings are so uncomfortable. We don't like sitting in for five minutes. Now, five minutes is not a great deal of time, but five nope. minutes when you're in that zone is huge. It's huge. It's like, it feels like 15. Yeah. It feels like 20. And I know from my own past experiences, if I felt like that, I could go and do mm-hmm. something self-sabotaging, mm-hmm. like take a drink, for example, in the past, yep. because I want to get rid of this feeling as quickly as possible. So I'm mm-hmm. going to do that. You know, of yep. course, now, or there's healthier ways, stick with it. Yeah, I just need to know. I do not like mm-hmm. this feeling. I, I want to get mm-hmm. rid of it as, as quickly as possible. Don't stay. Don't stay. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. go and do that, which is obviously not the greatest coping mechanism in the world. And now, of course, as therapists, we would recommend either try and yes. sit with it, recognize yep. the feelings, breathe, mm-hmm. go with yep. it, or perhaps, yep. you know, take yourself for a little walk, you know, mm-hmm. get outside even just to start to kind of bring that parasympathetic nervous system down. Yeah. And, and I recommend doing a four-step process that I created for people, okay. which I call your emotional management plan. And it your attacks emotional it from- Emotional management plan. I'll, okay. I'll send you the I'll send you the, the worksheet that yeah, I we'll send to the people. It's a little in the, poster. 
it's a poster and everybody can download it and they oh, can have it. It's, really it's, a little freebie there, Clint. Great. We'll put everything yes. in the show notes. That would be amazing. Yeah, thank yes, you. Love. Yeah. And so what the emotional management plan is, is you're attacking this feeling state from all three levels, from the, the parasympathetic level, you're mm-hmm. attacking it from the physiological level of your mm-hmm. body and you're attacking it from the psychological level. Mm-hmm. And by attacking it from those three different angles, it can't stay because you're basically telling your body, there is no tiger. This is not real. Mm-hmm. This is all in your head. This is okay. You will be fine. So what you do is you start with box breathing because box breathing has been scientifically proven to calm the parasympathetic nervous system. That's so you your four, 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 isn't it? Yes, that's yeah. where you breathe in for four and you hold for four. You breathe out for four and you hold empty for four and then mm-hmm. breathe back in for four seconds. And you do that four times. And by doing that, it triggers your body to say, wait a minute, because if a tiger's chasing you, you're not going to think, oh, I need to hold my breath for four seconds and run and breathe out for four seconds and then hold my breath empty for four seconds and keep running. No, you're going to be puffing and puffing and running for your life. Mm-hmm. So back to those your body. Oh, I guess there's nothing really going on because they're breathing in a weird way. So I guess I'm okay. And that's the thing because this is programmed, our brain is programmed with 185,000 plus years of evolutionary survival. But it's it like doesn't really work brain, in the 21st it's not, century. It's like saying to your brain, is yeah. it's not real. It's not a real yes. target. You're not going to die. Yes, you know, that, exactly. That trying to I usually tell people, when you're breathing, tell yourself that. There yeah. is no tiger. I'm yeah. not going to die. You know, and so you start with the box breathing because that breathing, then calms four, four, the parasympathetic four. nervous system. Uh-huh. Then you do in the moment journaling, which is where you take a minute or two to just literally dump the story that your brain is telling you. Because what biological fear tells us is this. Here's a very simple example. Mm-hmm. My boss yelled at me. That means I'm going to lose my job. That means I'm going to lose my family. That means I'm going to lose my home. That means I'm going to be dead under a bridge in the course of a week. And mm-hmm. it's like, Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That escalated really, really, really quickly. Yeah. That's not the way it works. Yeah. You, you can't go from my boss yelled at me to I'm dead under a bridge and under a week unless yeah. you really try. But you we can, do, don't but we? I we recommend do. It. Our brain, oh, yeah, our do. thinking can just go, sh- sh- and before yes. we know it, we're right over there, completely irrational. So you get the thoughts out of your head and you stick yeah. them on the page. So because by them. then, and then, you go and do some quick exercise, like you said. You take a two to three minute nature walk. You do some push-ups. You do some sit-ups. You do those different things because physiologically, all these neurochemicals in your body, the adrenaline, the cortisol, the neuroepinephrine, all the stuff in there, it only has one job, to get burned off. So if you're sitting in your desk or you're sitting at home and you're quietly freaking out, all it's going to is your gut, your heart, your lungs, and your brain. Mm-hmm. And we know that for our brain, it's going to lengthen the amount of time this experience happens. And the problem is when it lengthens the time in our brain, we then get trapped in that cycle and that thought, which then digs us deeper and deeper and deeper, which then dumps more adrenaline, more cortisol, more of the hormones in your body. And then it turns into a panic attack. And it I goes guess from anxiety if, well, to panic. Yeah, because I, I guess if we don't treat it or if we don't mm-hmm. treat it soon enough, Mm-hmm. The anxiety escalates, so we can mm-hmm. become, of course, you know, severely anxious, which then yes. can lead into the debilitating panic mm-hmm. attacks. Yeah. Then, of course, down the medication route, perhaps. So, yeah. Holistically, if we recognize yeah. what's going on, using what you outlined there, mm-hmm. you know, some of these techniques, yeah. these strategies, we can bring yeah. it back. 
successfully. And then you go, then the last thing you do is you go back and you read what you wrote. After you breathe, after you write, after you exercise, you go back and you read the things that you wrote. And by reading the things that you wrote, it now goes into your brain through logic. Because when we see things with our eyes, it goes through logic first. It doesn't go straight to emotion. So it goes through logic first, because when you read, you have to make sense of the language. You have to figure out the sentence structure. You have yeah. to understand these things. Yeah. So it goes through logic. And then you're looking at this gun. That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Because I live in Colorado, I work in a place where there's multiple military bases. I work with a lot of ex-military and with current military in the United States. Mm. And so one of the things I really try and teach them this first, because I had one guy that I, where I have, he has... He did like 23 different deployments. He was in the military for 23 years. He's mm. been countless wars, watched countless buddies, sent people into battle, all this stuff, yeah. tons of trauma. And so I taught him how to do this and he resisted doing the journaling part of it. And I kept saying, no, you have to do the journaling part of it. He's like, no, I don't want to write it down because if anyone ever finds this, they'll, they'll take away my ability to own guns. They'll take away my family. They'll take oh, away all these things from me. If anyone ever finds this, the people will come and they'll put me in the white coat and they'll stick me in the hospital. Mm. I'm like, I'm not telling you to share this with me. I'm telling you to get this out of your head because you have to see it. And so, because I'm sure once months, he's wrote it down, I mean, what I'll say to people mm-hmm. I work with is write it down. And if you want to, you right. can burn it after. And sometimes that's oh, cathartic yeah. actually. So oh, write yeah. it down, obviously go back, read it, burn it. And yeah. some people love yeah. that because it's like, oh, I've just got rid of that thought. Yeah, you know? uh, it's now gone forever. And I tell yeah. people to do that, but he wouldn't do it because he was so afraid that by writing it down would make it now real. Yeah. I'm like, it's already real. real. You're yeah. already feeling all this stuff. You're already going through this and stuff, actually, but you're just not to go understanding back to it. Your, your point there about reading it, mm-hmm. that's a really important, important point for me. I was only talking to a client this morning about our logical and our emotional brain. And as soon as we allow our emotions to kick in, mm-hmm. we have no control and then they become yeah. irrational. That's when we begin mm-hmm. to think this. We become paranoid. We become insecure. We allow the story them to creates take over. The spin. Yeah. Emotions create the spin on yeah. the story that make that takes it from, oh, I accidentally burned my finger on the stove to, oh, I accidentally burned my finger on the stove. This is going to get gangrene. They're going to have to chop off my finger and then they're going to miss something. And then that means it's going to go down my arm. Then they're going to have to cut off my arm. Then they're gonna, Then it's going to get to my heart and my heart's going to explode and I'm going to die. And it's like, whoa, it's like a one, it's like a one degree burn. It's not even a bad burn. And that's going to lead to your death. But as you, but as you quite rightly brought up, which is really important, if we don't stop it as soon as we can, as soon as we become aware mm-hmm. of this and become aware that... Actually, I think this is becoming a problem for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's there that to go and get the support or, you know, to, yeah. to, you know, maybe some people don't know about these tools or strategies. Hopefully mm-hmm. if they're listening now, they will do. But it is about That's thinking, yeah. acknowledging and becoming aware something's not right here. I need to do something before it becomes too big. Yeah. Too severe. And, that's, yeah. and that's a big piece of it. As again, as you get body awareness, because... Again, if it's the 80-20 rule where 80% of what we experience in the world comes from the neck down, then we have to listen to our body first and mm-hmm. listen to this second. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the hardest things to do because this is where all this is where we live. This is us. We're we're literally a three and a half pound squishy blob in locked inside of a dark room that we never get let out. Only way we get to do it is through our eyes. That's it. But that's where we are. So 
listening to our body is difficult because it's something no one's ever told you. This is why when you get the sour gut, when you get the super tension in your shoulders and the back of your neck, yeah. when you get the hairs on the back of your neck, that's yeah. not just that's not just a goose walking over your grave. It's literally your body saying, I have a million plus years of evolutionary survival instinct, and this is telling me I don't like what's going on right now. I may not be aware of exactly what's going on, but my body is telling me I don't like this. And then you have to figure out, okay, is this now an external threat or is this an internal threat? And an internal threat only comes from one person, us. Comes from our thoughts, comes from our feelings. And quite often, perhaps you've had something, you know, know, perhaps the manager wants to see you first thing in the morning, for Mm -hmm. example, okay? Mm -hmm. So you could be then all night going, God, what's he going to see me about? Why does he want to see me? What's he doing? Like, mm-hmm. Is he going to sack me? Is he going to tell me I have a good mm-hmm. job tomorrow morning? That was So yeah. what happens with our thoughts is once we're starting to think about something that we think is potentially bad, we then go into overdrive with our worry. Mm-hmm. And quite often, those worries never come true. Quite often. Nope. You know, sometimes. 90% and, of the you time. Know, yeah, 90, so we, we have wasted, there's a brilliant quote, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what it quite is, but it's something about, you know, you're wasting your day by worrying about tomorrow. It's it's, no, yep. it's not even here yet, you know. Yeah. So, but you can't help it sometimes, can you? Because you go, okay, I won't worry. Or nope. someone will say to you, listen, don't worry mm-hmm. about that. I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, you just mm-hmm. can't help it, you know. You're and, just still... Well, the moment someone says that, you're oh. like, well, what if not? Yeah. Well, it's like, don't know. think you of a gray elephant. You're just going to start thinking yeah. about a gray elephant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and it is, it's like that, that, that spiraling, mm-hmm. you know, so you've just got to just pull yourself back, become aware of it and yeah. allow yourself to, as, as fully as you can, stay present. Yeah. Because, yeah, you, you know, you probably go into that meeting in the morning and your manager might say, oh, I just want to tell you, you did a great job, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, is yeah. that it? It's like, like, really? Oh. Yeah, there's a relief. Yeah. So tell me about what kind of led you into, yeah, working in therapy, becoming a therapist, Clint. Because you know a lot. I'm learning um, a lot here. I'm sure my listeners are too. Yeah. Well, I got into therapy because of my own story. So when I, after I, so I obviously survived being born, which that was, you know, for most people, that's not a challenge, but I love a challenge. So there you go. Well, <laughs> sorry to interrupt again. I just yeah. want to say this. I was going to say earlier, actually, but I had a guest on the other day and she was talking about pre-verbal trauma. Sorry, raspy mm-hmm. that. Pre-verbal trauma yeah. because her mom died when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she had, she didn't, she can't really remember it, but she, I was obviously mm-hmm. traumatized by it mm-hmm. as a baby. And so it's definitely real. It definitely is well, something. Well, and again, that, that's yeah. why, that's why trauma is not a disorder. Trauma yeah. is a physical injury, injury. to the brain. Yeah. That, that's why they're trying to get that changed because no matter how old they you have are, scientific it's in there. proof now. Yeah. And so that's the thing is, you know, so I was, so I was born, I went through being in an incubator, I had pneumonia multiple times. I was sick a lot. And then I turned a corner and I've been healthy ever since. Mm. And, you know, but I was always told by my parents, you know, you're lucky to be alive. You don't understand how many times you walked in there and saw their parents were there, where their kids were dead. You, so you, you know, you have to do something good with your life. You know, you're, you, you know, you were a gift from God. You were a blessing. You literally were, it was a billion, billion chance yeah. that you were 
area, you're able to walk, talk, see, think, and be as you know normal as you are, whatever that means, mm-hmm. right? And so then I went to elementary school and middle school and high school, and then I was bullied relentlessly throughout that with my friend group, where as as a group of friends, they were bullies. But as individual friends, they were great friends. Mm-hmm. So it created this really, this real dichotomy and confusion for me of why is it when we're alone, we have the good conversations and the deep conversations and you're nice and you're friendly. And, but yet when we're together, all of a sudden it becomes, I'm the butt of everybody's jokes. I'm the scapegoat. It's I'm like, the one it reminds is- me of animals in a way when they get in when you get in yes. books, you know, you become well, fighters, a bunch of you become boys. So that's yeah. kind of understood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you, and now, of course, now I know being a therapist and having done my own work and been doing this for 23 years that the reason why it was so hard for me growing up and then especially in high school, it was even harder because when you get to high school, your hormones are now at 400% normal. And so it literally becomes this life and death struggle of trying to be part of the group because in human history, if you think about it, human history, the main thing that throughout human history that they used as punishment was exile. Yeah. If you're kicked out of Even the group. Even now, isolation. Exile, yeah. Exile yeah. means death. That's where, how our body interprets exile. Yeah. So when you're part of a group and you become attacked or bullied or kind of pushed out or marginalized, your body instinctively reacts as I'm being exiled. This means if I don't find a new group or a better group to be with, that means I'm probably going to die because that's our, that's our ancestral history that is literally encoded in our DNA. Yeah, yeah. And so going through that, that caused me stress, anxiety, depression, people pleasing, and all these different things I started to gather. I got really, I became really, really angry. I became a really angry kid. And so my first way to deal with that was I would, retreat. I would, oh, I, I would read, I could read a 300 page novel in like two days. I wow. could, I'd read comic books. I'd play video games. I'd watch, you know, science fiction TV with my dad. I'd do things like that. And I would yeah. just stay away from people. But the anger was there because it was, I had no control. So my parents saw that I was getting more angry because I was beginning to act out because I wasn't able to hold it because the containers we as human beings build to hold these massive feelings are very poorly made. They leak and then stuff gets out all over the place. Yeah. And so I started getting more angry. And so my parents were like, okay, you need to go to therapy. And so I went to therapy when I was like 12 for anger issues. But, yeah. And yeah. I was in therapy for about two years. And they started really simple, which just, here's a big page uh-huh. of all the different feeling faces. This is what feelings look like. These are yeah. all the different ways you can feel about stuff. You, I want you to monitor and figure out what way you're feeling about stuff. And, you know, until the first week I did it, I was like, oh, okay, well, I think I'm feeling this way, but, I, but can I do more than one? Because I think I'm feeling more than one feeling. And so I went back the next week and I said, can I circle more than one? I'm feeling like, oh yeah, feelings are not a one and done. Feelings are multi-layered. You can circle all of them if you're feeling all of them at one point in the day. But that's the thing is that we all recognize that. So I started finally getting these words to say, oh, right now I'm feeling angry. But I'm feeling angry because I'm also hurt and I'm also hurt and I am frustrated and I'm confused. That's where my anger is coming from. And so one of the things that I teach people is I teach people what I call emotional math, where you use the feelings wheel and take the seven core feelings and you break them down into the subsets of feelings to make them more bite-sized. It lets you eat the elephant because anger 
as an, as an emotion is big and scary. But if you break it down to, well, I'm feeling confused and hurt and frustrated mm-hmm. by that last interaction. It's like, oh, well, I can figure if, well, if I'm confused, I can ask clarifying questions. If I'm frustrated, often, I can go I, do some. I, I've often thought that, oh, and, you know, even with myself or with clients or with her, that anger always comes from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. That, that fear, that vulnerability, that I'm yeah. scared. Like you just said, you know, that I'm that place I'm mm-hmm. scared. And it's funny that you say that because I actually changed the main feelings wheel to put the the main feeling in the middle being F period, E period, A period, R period. There you go. Fear. False evidence appearing real. And that's where I think all emotions come from. That's the biological piece. I think so it, it is. starts from the biological upset, piece. It could be from fear. Mm-hmm. You said about something, and that fear is, am I going to lose this? Am I going to be on my own? Or am I going to be vulnerable? You know, mm-hmm. everything, for me, in my opinion, comes from that place of fear. It does. You know? And yeah. the thing is, is that once, and then once you recognize the false evidence appearing real story, and then you break down the next feeling. And, there, and the thing that people don't understand is that they hate is that when I say, there's fear and happiness. And they're like, how is that possible? Yeah. How can fear be a part of happiness? I've been happy. How can I be afraid too? I'm like, well, when you're, then I say to them, when you're, when you're at your most happy, let's say you were out with a group of friends. It was just the best night ever. Fantastic. And then that thought crosses your mind. Man, I wonder if we're ever going to have this again. Oh, it does sometimes. Doesn't it? Yeah. There's the fear, right? Yeah. That's the fear. I've just been out if... for a lovely lunch today, actually, with two very special friends I've not seen in, in a long time. Well, about two years, two and a half years, three years, something mm-hmm. like that. And I must admit, at the end of that lunch, I did think, oh, I hope, I hope I see you again. I hope it's not too long next time. And it does. I, I did get yeah. that. Oh, I hope we don't go too long again. Yeah. Right. And that's what people don't recognize is that literally the fear story in, in, is in every single major feeling state that we have because there's always the because fear is ultimately for human beings when it comes to survival is it's the unknown yeah and that's the thing and it's that really i love to scary teach people because we are creatures, thing to teach people we yes. are creatures of habit aren't we you know creatures yes. of habit we we stay safe even though we may be completely bored of our heads and complaining all the time mm-hmm. um, we kind of feel settled in knowing what we know you know, and, I, and I'm that's not the really thing like that I love that, teaching but, people. Yeah. I love teaching people. One of my favorite things to teach people is this phrase. Go on. Just you always have to remind yourself one thing. We are all making it up as we go along. Mm. From the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we go to bed at night, I don't care if you are the most confident person in the world. You are still making it up as you go along. You are still reacting to the input of everybody else in your life in that in day, day and creating the story as you go through the day. Now, you may I have always, better I, I, tools. It also but, reminds me of the idea, Clint, about, and I think this has come up as well in the podcast, but that we're all actors, you know, and it's a Shakespearean yeah. thing about, you know, all the world's a stage in the sense yes. that every day, and I'm not meaning you're acting insincerely or it's not from no. a genuine place, but, you know, you may be with a colleague, so you've got a different mm-hmm. persona. You may be at your yep. son's football game. You've got a different persona. Right. I'm on a podcast to you. I may mm-hmm. have a di- I'm with my husband. Every, yeah. everything 
is a different yeah, I transaction. Do not do that anymore. I'm, I'm done with being different. I'm just me all the time now because well, that perhaps was perhaps it's just more. You can be that you. Was the I'm not saying syndrome. I'm not saying you've changed your who you yeah. are, but you may yeah. change your language. You may change what yeah. you talk about. You're going True. to adapt. This is what I mean. You're going to adapt mm -hmm. to that person on their level, so you know that yes. we can communicate. Yes, because communication what, is an a, is an A and B scenario, and mm -hmm. at best, you're lucky to get fifty percent proper mm -hmm. communication between two people. Which is why as therapists, we're always like, "So did you understand that? Could you repeat that back to me in your own <laughs> words, I'd like to really make sure that you understood exactly what I said?" That's why we do that because I need to know that you know that I meant what I said. Today we delved into Clinch Journey. Um, perhaps you found parts of the story resonating with your own experiences the trauma of bullying, the retreat inwards, and the avoidance of people. And these are struggles that many of us face. Clint's story reminds us that seeking help, just like he did with therapy, can be a turning point in our lives. I think it's important to remember one crucial thing. None of us have it all figured out. We're all navigating this complex journey called life, making it up as we go along. And it's okay not to be perfect, and it's okay to stumble along the way. The important part is to show up. Join us for next week for part two of our conversation with Clint, where he shares insights about the power of meditation and other aspects of self-discovery. I'll see you then. And that's a wrap for this episode of Bouncing Back Stronger. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you bounce back stronger in your own life. I'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to share your thoughts, insights, or personal stories of resilience by reaching out to me via email or my social media channels in the show notes. I'll leave you with this. Resilience is a journey, and we're in this together. Farewell for now, bouncer backers, and I look forward to seeing you all next week for more like this.